Welcome to your dog cast, where we feature news just for dog lovers. Here's your Rover reporter, Mary Lou Davidson. Hello, and welcome to the Rover Reporter. Today, we're talking about dog sense. You know, we are all amazed by our canine companions and their ability to smell things miles away. In fact, I saw some research that said that they can smell things up to 12 miles away. Do I believe it? I don't know. Well, I've brought in an expert to help us sort through that. It's Dr. Jim Dobies of Urgent Vet. Welcome, Jim. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's exciting. We're all, I think, super intrigued about our dog's senses because really they all contribute to how our dogs communicate with us, right? Are they picking up on our cues? But rather than get into their amazing uh, ability to detect the world through their noses, I wanted to talk a little bit about ears. And was it you that told me that dogs hear twice as well as humans do? Yeah, at at least, we think. Um, And and they hear different frequencies uh, than we can. Obviously, that's where the term dog whistle came from. Uh, It's a, you know, a high-pitched noise that you and I can't hear, but is very detectable to dogs. So um, they they also have the ability with those amazing, uh, you know, flaps to direct uh, their hearing almost like, you know, a parabolic microphone that they can turn their head and comb their ears in such a way to magnify sounds that might not be detectable to us at all. Yeah, and the way they can manipulate manipulate one ear at a time. Yeah. Super cool. I think I read that one of the reasons they can detect high-pitched noises is because that they were basically predators and the kinds of things that they ate were little squeaky things. Uh, and that's how this whole thing evolved. And really, their ears have evolved in a better, more uh, positive, beneficial way than ours have, haven't they? Well, they certainly have gotten efficient at what they do. You know, it's it's interesting that that I think dogs generally prefer if 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 I'm going back to you know prehistoric dogs, they generally prefer to eat um, uh, live prey, but they also adapted the ability to be scavengers and and that's what makes it rather disgusting when, you know, we take them out at night in the backyard and they're rooting around and something and you can't figure out what it is. And then lo and behold, you find out later that it was, you know, a squirrel or a possum that decided to, uh, uh, pass away in the backyard. And now the dog is, is interested in that, but their, 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 their ability to adapt and their ability to, um, uh, develop senses that, that, you know, maximize their ability to find food is, is pretty amazing. And, and when you put it all together with the vision and the hearing and the smell and, and then probably quite frankly, certain tactile cues that we don't even appreciate, um, they really are an efficient, um, you know, finder of food, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had, um, my dog, unbeknownst to me, bury something in the backyard, uh, toys. And uh, one day my pet sitter was out there and he was digging. And guess what? There was a squeaky under there. So I wonder, did he smell it? Did he just remember? How did that happen? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it had to do with smell. Um, and it, it, it speaks to, you know, their instinct of knowing that when they have plenty, they need to set aside some for when they may not have enough. Uh, now, obviously, with toys and, and kibble and that kind of thing, they don't want for anything in our modern households. But if they have, um, you know, plenty of toys, it's very common for a dog to go out, find a favorite cache and deposit the items there. And then, you know, maybe someday they're out back and they're bored and they, oh, look, I found a toy that I set aside. It's all new to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's great. So to your point about the tactile receptors, uh, that must be what they work on to develop in dogs that can detect earthquakes and other seismic yeah, and I don't know about you, but I have a dog that is um, deathly afraid of thunderstorms. And she knows way before we do that there's a storm coming and, and she'll start to behave in a way that, you know, she's she's seeking shelter. She's seeking safety. Uh, of course, it's it, it's an instinct that far exceeds its intended purpose because she lives in a house and there's no way for the weather to get in here. Um, but instinctively, they knew whether it's the barometric pressure or the smell of the rain that's coming or even the, the humidity, um, they, they have uh, the ability to just sense things that you and I either take for granted or just can't uh, evaluate with our limited senses. Mm -hmm. That's not to say we don't have superpowers, because, of course, you know, our, our vision, <laughs> our, our vision is, is, is really pretty second to none uh, when it comes to its, its clarity and its, its ability to see definition. Um, but yeah, dogs and cats don't have to have that level of um, stereoscopic full color vision in order to see what they need to see to survive. Right. Well, before we get into the eyesight question, I just wanted to ask you, do you have some miracle cure slash remedy for thunderstorm mania that your dog gets? Wow. Yeah. For, for her, it's a combination of things. You know, we not one thing is, is never effective all by itself. So for my dog, in particular, um, I've tried the Thunder shirt before. Um, it, it's worked pretty well. It, it makes her feel more secure. Um, we try to give her a safe place that she can bed down, whether that's in our bedroom or in a closet or the bathroom or someplace away from a window. Um, we will sometimes play music. We will often uh, put out some pheromones that can help to be calming. And then if, if it's a very severe, um, you know, uh, reaction, um, I have medications that I administer to her that helps her with the anxiety temporarily until the storm has passed. Lucky girl. Yeah. yeah. Well, she, she, yeah, doc. <laughs> she will, she will chew through uh, wood molding if we don't, uh, if we don't help her and gosh, if we're not home when it happens, that's, it's rough. It's rough on her. It's rough on us because she's so frantic about finding a safe place. She could end up harming herself. Sure. So we always try to make sure somebody's home and we're expecting thunderstorms. Yikes. Well, um, good luck with that. I thanks. I know it's traumatic for everybody, but talking about eyesight, um, it's like almost 
there were or are old wives tales about dogs vision. Some say it's flicker vision. Some say it's only black and white. But more recently, uh, they're talking about a level of color blindness that doesn't allow them to see, I think, red and green. They can see blue and yellow. Yeah, more or less. And and so it it's sort of like if a night vision goggle, you know, wasn't that greenish hue, but it was more like a blue yellow uh, tone. And, and the whole purpose behind that is so that they're very good at spotting motion. They're very good at spotting when things um, suddenly change direction or suddenly, um, you know, run away. That they're very good at doing that. And then they have another adaptation called the tapetum, which is a mirror that sits in the back of the eye that helps to reflect even more light to the retina. And that's why at night, when you flash a, a flashlight in the dark at your eye, at your dog's eyes, it comes back as a flash. Or if you take a picture of them with a flash, it comes back with a flash versus humans, we have red eye because we don't have that tapetum. So the, the ability to magnify that ambient light to as much as it possibly can, and then the additional, what they call um, uh, rod cells in the back of the, the retina, it just helps them to be able to pick up on little motions. And where my dog freaks me out is when she goes out on the back porch at night and stands on that top step and her hackles go up and she starts to growl. And I look out there, I can't see anything. Um, but I'm, I'm sure she hears, sees, or smells something. I just have no idea what it is. She spots something, yeah. Um, you know, I hear a lot about cataracts in senior dogs now. And I never heard about that growing up. Is it just that we know more and have better tests? Or is this something that's gotten worse over time? I think it's probably a combination. Um, I, fortunately, dogs are living longer on average than they ever have. I mean, certainly you have stories of dogs that live to be 20 or 22 years old, but on average, because of the advances in veterinary care, the advances in nutrition, the fact that dogs now live inside the home, all of these things mean that they're living into their senior year. Uh, and, and when you reach a certain age, you're much more prone to developing cataracts. Uh, another piece of it probably too is we have uh, become a society that really values purebred dogs and genetics plays a part in cataract formation as well. So if, if you have more dogs like golden doodles and labradoodles and other kinds of doodles and so forth and so on, and there is a trait that that is active in that particular breed you're more likely to see that as they get older and then you know the other thing is 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 cataracts often go hand in hand with diabetes so as as dogs get older if they happen to develop diabetes that is a huge risk factor and they live so much longer now than they did even when i came out of veterinary school because of the advances in insulin so i i think it, it it's like you said, I think part of it is that that we're so much more aware of it. Doctors are better at screening it. They, we now have treatments for it. Um, we we note it very early on when they form. But then the other piece of it is that, you know, the dogs are just living longer and they're more likely to have them. 
Mm-hmm. And would you recommend that dogs get tested for diabetes at a certain age, just as a standard of care or just if if your vet recommends it? I mean, most senior dogs, I think it's wise to do some sort of metabolic panel at least once a year. If they start drinking excessive amounts of water and having frequent accidents in the house, uh, that's that's a very common sign associated with diabetes is um, excessive drinking and excessive urination. Um, you should definitely have that checked out because there are other causes as well. It's not just diabetes, but um, screening regularly and just monitoring their their weight, their appetite, um, their their thirst, um, their activity level, et cetera. Yeah. So if we think about preventive care for ears and eyes, do you recommend supplements or anything that we can do to help our guys sense us better through the years? Yeah. I, I, preventative care really goes a long way. And, and it's, it, you know, we all have heard that old, the, I don't know if they would call it an old wives tale or whatever you want to call it, but an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, you know, early detection of ear infections, um, eye problems, um, you know, a- anything associated with the upper GI tract, like the nose and the, uh, and the mouth and so forth. Um, anytime you have regular vet checkups and you have a veterinarian who's familiar with your pet, you have a very familiar, um, you know, lifestyle with the pet, you can pick up on things and, and identify them far earlier than you used to and take preventative steps. You know, for example, with ear infections, you know, that's become an all too common issue with a lot of breeds. And, you know, uh, back in the the good old days or the bad old days, depending on how you look at it, we didn't have very many things that we could do to treat that. And, And ear disease often got far worse as they got older. Well, the new medications that we have and the new biologicals and just Things that we can do, um, you know, from a medical and a topical standpoint is so much better now that, you know, we don't fortunately have as many uh, dogs that have severe ear problems. Um, but what I also tell my my pet parents is, listen, if, if they started with hearing that's at least twice as good as ours, it takes an awful lot of hearing loss for them to not be able to hear anything. Um, so fortunately, you know, I, I, I think that that in some dogs, you it, it can be difficult to tell the difference between the dogs that maybe have lost hearing and maybe suffering from cognitive dysfunction or, you know, the early stages of dementia where they're just not, they're not picking up on it very much anymore, regardless of whether they can hear it or not. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what about supplements? Like humans have Occuvite for eyesight. Is there anything that you would yeah, there, there is a supplement that purports to be helpful for cataracts. Um, the stuff that I've read about it, some people still claim that it has beneficial effects. Others um, point to evidence that it doesn't really have much of a beneficial effect. Um, I think it's certainly worth a try, right? If it doesn't work for your pet, that doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily work for other people's pets. Um, but cataract surgery is expensive and it can also come with, you know, certain side effects, um, after the surgical uh, procedure is completed. So, you know, surgery is always an option. 
um, particularly if their health, their eye health is, is good otherwise. Um, but in the early stages, if, if you want to try supplements to see if that can slow the progression of the cataracts, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about uh, turmeric? Turmeric. Can we talk about that a little bit? The golden that's, a, that's a little outside of my uh, uh, area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, when we talk about uh, you know treatments that that em- employ uh, holistic or natural remedies, that kind of thing, herbal remedies, I recommend that you go to a veterinarian who actually um, has a special interest in that uh, yeah. because they're going to be the ones that are the most up to date on what is safe. And, and what is likely to be effective. Um, anybody can look something up on the internet. And obviously I do that all the time myself um, if, if there's something new that I'm not familiar with. Um, but you know there are certain remedies, for example, that can have drug interactions with common uh, veterinary medications. And where a, a you know, general practice veterinarian who's not versed in uh, herbal or, or supplemental types of medicines may not be familiar with that. So I, I think it's always good to you know, talk to your regular vet. You certainly do a certain amount of research yourself online, but then go to a, a, a reputable holistic or, or herbal remedy veterinarian who can talk to you about that. And I, I'm not one of those folks that I think you know, one side is better than the other side. I think that everything can be complementary, you know, and, and we can have solutions that work well, um, where we combine, um, Eastern medicine, Western medicine and natural and herbal remedies. Agreed. I love that answer. Very diplomatic (laughs) (laughs) and informative. Well, you know, you mentioned dementia and, I'm hoping that you'll come back and talk to us in more depth about that. Uh, as they're living, our dogs are living longer. I think a lot of us are coping with a loss of cognitive um, dexterity for our pups. And so hope you'll join us next time for that discussion. But thank you so much for your insight and inspiration. We appreciate it. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to come back and talk to you anytime. Thanks, Jim. Dr. Dobie's Urgent Vet. Talk to you soon.